Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mr. Chief Justice, the police of the court. When they send a person to prison, that's money. I don't look at it and no other thing. It's not they're going to just say, well, I really want to rehabilitate you. That's bullshit. It's money. This is Life of the Law. I'm Amanda Aronchik. Back in the early 1990s, when Rufus Taylor was growing up in North Philadelphia, he was a studious kid. For a while, school was fine, but he remembers thinking to himself, maybe there's more to life than just studying. I'm kind of very interested in what's going on over there on that corner. (laughs) You know, and that's where I went. It wasn't like he was from an abusive family or addicted to drugs or even that he needed the money. The way he explains it, he did it for the rush. I was watching a movie one time. And it was these kids, they was Amish. It was Devil's Playground, a documentary that came out about 10 years ago. So you know how the Amish, no TV, no lights, you know what I mean? Nothing, nothing from the outside world. The Amish have no electricity, TV, radio. But supposedly it's a rite of passage when they turn 16. But the day you turn 16, the family allows them to go out into the world. Your whole life changes. To see what it's about. It's called a rumspringa. Translation? running around outside the bounds. A couple of the Amish got scared. Then a few of them, they got addicted to it. I looked the same way. I was secluded. All I thought about was school, and so I went across that street. And for a time, it seems that every time he crossed that street, he stole a car that was parked there. One, two, three. That's Taylor counting his arrests. Four, five, six, seven. This might take a while. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. By the end of his very own personal rumspringa, he was in real trouble. 21 separate arrests. This is all from my juvenile years, from 17 to 18. He wasn't just a juvenile stealing cars. He was finally locked up for helping some friends with an armed robbery. Rufus Taylor spent 14 years in and out of prison, and then finally, in 2008, he finished his parole and moved on. Well, he tried to move on. He had a baby, and he says he couldn't get work, so instead of his usual fallback, selling drugs, he applied for welfare. But he wasn't eligible. He had an outstanding debt. In fact, a truly outstanding amount of debt. Total sort judgments was 41800 
$97.70 owed to the courts of Philadelphia. If I would have never applied for welfare, I would have never known. Truthfully, because they didn't contact me. They didn't say nothing. They didn't say a word about it. Years after Rufus Taylor got out of prison, he was told that he owed $42,000, mostly for skipping out on bail multiple times. Taylor's debt was unusually high, but it's not unusual at all to leave prison anywhere across the country, owing fees, fines, costs. This is a fee for running the crime lab. This is a fee for running the prison law library. This is a fee for... Ronald Wright is a professor of criminal justice at Wake Forest School of Law in North Carolina. He recently co-authored a paper titled Mercenary Criminal Justice, looking at these fees and fines. $100 a month for your supervision fees if you're out of prison but being supervised by a probation officer. So, And it's a much longer list than that, but that gives you an idea. And is there a strangest fee that you've ever seen award that you could give out? I like the lab fees, especially when they're charged to people who never had any lab associated with their case, people who didn't have blood to be tested, didn't have any scientific evidence, and yet they're still paying a $100 lab fee for their case. Here's how it works. You get arrested and, let's say, convicted of a crime. You go to sentencing, and once it's decided how long you'll be staying, the judge will tell you, oh, wait, one more thing. You're going to owe some money later. So, okay, but you have other things on your mind, like the fact that you're going to prison. It's when you're released that these little fees and fines pop up again. And at the abstract level, it makes sense. I mean, it's not, you know, morally wrong to charge people for the thing that they force us to spend money on. It's just once all the fees add up, nobody really steps back and says, whoa, these fees all taken all together really may be a bit much. What I found crazy about the Philadelphia one, and I haven't seen this anywhere else, is that they went retroactive. So they, they just went back so far in time. Right, because because there's no statute of limitations on these things. It's just, you know, because it's a criminal fee, it just stays in place. You don't get rid of it in bankruptcy. It doesn't go away if they stop trying to collect it for five years or for 50 years. It's just always there. Former convict Rufus Taylor's debts date back to 1994, when the courts say he first skipped out on bail. In Philadelphia, once bail is set, you only need to put down 10%. So when the courts decided to go after unpaid debts, they decided to hold everyone accountable for that other 90% that they didn't pay. But the question remains, did you come back to court in a reasonable amount of time? And if the answer is yes, then you owe less money. And for Taylor, the answer was yes, because he was arrested again. So he applied to get his $40,000 reduced, arguing that he didn't really skip out on bail for all that long since he was back in prison. The courts agreed, and he got the amount reduced to about $4,000. But he still couldn't pay that, and the city sent his debt to collections. So how was your credit? 490, I think they said a 496 or a 4... It's either 486 or 496. And how is that? Well, I'm not even sure what is that. That right there is below poor. So. And what does that keep you from being able to do? Everything. Can't buy a car can't get a loan, can't but get a mortgage. It keeps me from everything. I think we have to step back and ask, what's our goal here? 
Michelle Alexander is a law professor at Ohio State University and the author of The New Jim Crow. Her book has pretty much launched a movement against mass incarceration. If the purpose of incarceration is supposedly um, to keep us safer, then it makes no sense to make it vastly more difficult for people when they're released from prison to ever get back on their feet and to be integrated into society again. Makes no sense. Your Honor, thank you uh, very, very much. Uh, We're very excited about this continuing... In 2010, Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter was tackling a recession plus a dysfunctional court system. The fact that it was so easy to skip out on bail meant there were a lot of fugitives running around, people arrested who never went back to court. So, partly out of public safety and partly out of searching for some money, the city launched this massive debt collection. This is not just driven uh, by uh, the current economics. When people owe, they need to pay. And they're not just paying back a little bit of money, but $1.5 billion by the court's calculations. And these are debts from 300,000 people, dating back to when Nixon was still president. People think that this is a game. This is not a game. We are as serious as a heart attack about collecting uh, this money, and we're going to do what we need to do because we want our money. Thank you very much. One of the people tasked with overhauling the courts is Seamus McCaffrey, a justice on the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. You know, at this level where I'm at right now, what I think of is money. It's always money. Justice McCaffrey says that the money they're collecting is not going to buy gold-plated cell phones for judges. Running a court system is very expensive. The governor tells me that the second largest budget item in Pennsylvania are prisons, okay? Well, in connection to prisons, you have prison guards, you have the support staff, courts. Courts entail judge, stenographer, staff, sheriff, okay? It's money, money, and money. I'm Pamela Demby, president judge of the Court of Common Pleas of the 1st Judicial District, which is the city and county of Philadelphia. Judge Denby says that when the recession hit, she immediately had millions pulled from the court's operating budget. She says the debt collection is necessary and fair. This isn't some great plot to scour the last dime out of the pockets of the poor people of Philadelphia. This is collecting money from people who have cost us, the taxpayers, a lot of money to bring them to justice. It isn't Random. And where does the money go that is being collected? Right to the city. We don't keep it. This isn't like the court's playground fund. It goes right to the city. Um, so it, this is taxpayer money. And if, if it wasn't coming from people who are ex-prisoners, where would it be coming from? Well, either the city has to take money out of the rest of the, the budget, so you, know, you don't get the trash picked up, you don't get the recreation centers open, or they don't give it to us and you don't have courts open five days a week. I asked Michelle Alexander what she thought the court should do when they don't have enough money to operate. What they should be doing immediately is telling the truth about the cause of their financial woes. And the cause isn't that offenders aren't paying $35 to victims' funds. That's not the cause of the financial woes of our court system. The cause of the court's financial woes, according to Alexander, is a problem of scale. The prison population in this country quintupled over the last few decades. And the costs associated with processing millions of people through our criminal justice system, locking them up, monitoring them through probation and parole once they've been released, issuing bench warrants and all the rest, the costs are mind-boggling. 
But the fees do more than just plug a financial hole, some of their critics say. They can create an incentive to distort the way justice is administered. Again, Professor Ronald Wright. In Oklahoma, there's this system where they they moved from a $20 a month diversion fee to a $40 a month diversion fee. Here, a diversion fee is a fee towards having the DA's office supervise you instead of you going to jail. And in 2009, that fee doubled to $40. Then, over the course of the next two years, the number of people paying that fee more than doubled. That wasn't because there were 20,000 extra bad guys in Oklahoma that year. That was because the fee went from $20 to $40 and they had a financial incentive. This is true for any human being. You give them an incentive and, you know, they might respond. So can $40 or $400 or $40,000 be collected from people who've just come out of prison? The court knows that there's a 70% unemployment rate for ex-offenders, so they only expect to collect a fraction of the money they're asking for. But Justice McCaffrey doesn't believe that everyone crying poverty is necessarily poor. I have a woman in our court system, great lady. She's been one of our volunteers for years. She said, Your Honor, I have an idea. I said, what's that? Why don't we just order Comcast to cut off their cable TV until they pay up their court debt? Think about that. They're able to pay cable TV. Is that a constitutional right? They're walking around with cell phones like you wouldn't believe, stuff that we don't have. So look me in the eye and tell me you can't afford $15 a month. Now you're lying to me. And sure, that probably happens. But advocates for the poor say whether $15 a month is affordable depends on who has to pay it. In Philadelphia, the courts were trying to work out what they considered reasonable payment plans, $15 a month or $25 or $50 a month. For Rufus Taylor, it was still a lot, especially because he now has other financial concerns. Hello? I'm in route right now to get the kids. He works in an auto body shop and hurries to North Philadelphia every weekday afternoon to pick up his kids. Pick them up, drop them off. Pick them up, drop them off. This is every day. He has a year-old son and two girls. The younger one is three, and I think the older one is eight years old. How old are you? How old are you? How old are you? How old are me? These kids' father is feeling the weight of living from paycheck to paycheck. When I was in the streets, selling drugs, doing robberies, stealing cars, whatever, I didn't appreciate the money. As soon as I got it, I spent it. It was just to have fun, do whatever. Now that I work hard every day to try to support my family, I appreciate every penny. I kid you not, my daughter would tell you, I'm stingy. (laughs) I'm stingy, but for my kids, I do whatever I can for them. If I got it, you got it. As far as Rufus Taylor is concerned, he did his time, and that was punishment enough. So it's hard for him not to feel cynical about debts he says he didn't even know existed when he left prison. When they send a person to prison, that's money. That's kickback. That's money. I don't look at it and no other thing. It's not they're going to just say, well, I really want to rehabilitate you. That's bullshit. It's money. That money, which he continues to fight in court, still shows up in the form of collection letters that he can't bring himself to open anymore. The money makes Rufus Taylor feel like prison isn't as far behind him as he would like. When you leave prison, before you leave, I kid you not, I think everybody hears the same thing. I'll leave the light on for you. The guards always say, I'll leave the light on for you, because they know you're coming back. For Life of the Law, I'm Amanda Aronchik. 
This episode of Life of the Law was produced by Julia Barton, Caitlin Prest, Nancy Mullane, Alisa Roth, and Shannon Heffernan. Our scholarly advisor was Amy Bach. Our web editor is Mary Atkins. Phil Wild takes care of our web development and design. Financial support comes from the Open Society Foundations, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. Thanks also to Making Contact, our fiscal sponsor. For more on this story and others on the law and the legal system, visit lifeofthelaw.org. Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American married to a Colombian Mexican American and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvador and pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.